This should be played at high volume. Live and local. Let's go down to life, man. This is Acadiana's number one sports station. 1037 The Game. It's Saturday, and you know what that means. Finally time for the world-famous CD to step to the mic for two straight hours of no-holds-barred sports talk. It's better than Desperate Housewives. Are you ready? You better get ready. Yeah! Yeah! Because Under the Dome with CD starts right now on 103.7 The Game. And welcome, everyone. Back to Under the Dome with CD, hour number two, officially underway. Hopefully you're having a good one. I know I sure am because I'm here with you, number one, number two. We out here inside the beautiful 1037 The Game Studios. Hear this worldwide. And you can hear this bad boy worldwide on your free mobile app, 1037thegame.com. Your favorite smart speakers, just tell them to play. 1037 The Game, and also on that FM dial, the tower of power that is 1037 The Game. He is the tower of power. He is too sweet to be sour. He is the rap master. There is no other. There is no equal to man. And it is absolutely a glorious, as Kevin Foote would say, Saturday morning, because we're just getting that much closer to Super Bowl Sunday. Yes, we got to deal with the Pro Bowl. And nobody's watching the Pro Bowl. You might be listening to it when you're making your way across town, maybe maybe getting some some errands done on a Sunday afternoon right here on 1037 The Game. Thanks to Westwood One's coverage of the National Football League. But, of course, we got to flip it over, and we got to talk about the reports where it looks like Eric Bieniemy is going to be able to take interviews. He's taking interviews right now. And it's crazy to think that he's taking interviews right after losing the in the AFC Championship game. And we'll talk about them more a little bit later. But when you think about how crazy it is, a lot of coaches, a lot of teams are finding their dance partners going forward. For instance, the Jacksonville Jaguars, they just hired, you know, Doug Peterson. Interesting choice. I'll say that much. Interesting choice. Then you have teams like the New York Giants hiring Brian Dable, not Brian Flores. That's a whole different bag of worms that I don't even want to get into right now because that's just a absolute mess for that program. That's not my place to really talk about. Talk about that. You know, if you've read, you've probably read some stuff, you heard some stuff. That's where I'm going to leave it at. That said, the Bienemy interview is going to be interesting on Sunday because I was seeing that, then I was also seeing something from Outkick saying that apparently Sean, excuse me, Dennis Allen is going to be announced as soon as next week after interviews are wrapped up. I'm not sure about that, honestly, because I think you're going to interview him. I think if you want to make sure you don't wind up being part of an investigation, a lot like what we see, what we're probably going to be seeing with the New York football Giants front office is to play your cards right and make sure it is a fair and balanced invest and interview session and you at least entertain it and in my mind you got to make him say no that's my whole thing 
I say it all the time with certain coaches. This one, I think everybody can agree with me. If you don't, 337-706-0111. 337-706-0111. This is something that I think is beneficial for all parties involved. If you're the Saints, I think this is a win. If you get them. The only thing that I'm worried about with this conversation is how much does his relationship with Andy Reid influence it? Because I got this conversation with Jim Gazzola when he's filling in. I believe it was like right after Sean Payton retired where I was saying, you know, I think you need to call Eric Bieniemy. I said it right from the jump. You you give that call to Eric Bieniemy like right now because he's absolutely a phenomenal offensive coordinator. He's been highly touted for years. I think getting him would be a massive victory for your franchise to be able to get a guy like that. And he's a New Orleans native. I think that is an added plus. Now, what happens with the rest of the guys? Does Dennis Allen bounce? Pete Carmichael, apparently he was bandied about as being a potential head coach candidate. Didn't want to be interviewed. What goes on there? Does he just want to be behind the scenes? How much does, you know, going from Sean Payton to Eric Bieniemy, does he want to take over play calling a lot like Payton did? Or will he divvy it up with Pete Carmichael? And what happens with the quarterback position? There's a lot of questions surrounding this franchise. But I think the biggest one is, can they get Eric Bieniemy to be the head coach of the Saints? I'm not necessarily sure he's going to want that because that relationship he has with Andy Reid. Because, and I said this to Jim, I think it's a possibility that he could be a lot like, you know, Greg Popovich. Andy Reid ain't getting any younger. And I wouldn't be surprised if he hangs it up in the next two to three years. Once he Once this thing kind of, slows down, and the Chiefs dynasty that wasn't kind of slows down. I got a good feeling that he's going to hang it up and Eric Bieniemy could take over that spot over in KC. And that's if he sticks around for that time frame. If he doesn't, it's a different conversation. But I think, in my heart of hearts, if you get Eric Bieniemy, that is going to be a massive win for this franchise. I think it's going to be a really good transition from one great head coach to another future, like, all-timer head coach. Because, yes, he's been largely a offensive guru, and he's had one of the best quarterbacks in recent memory in Pat Mahomes. And I think the team is – hopefully that team does learn from their mistakes with the AFC Championship game. Because I think they, they could have won that one handily. And as somebody who had plus seven and a half on the Bengals, I got nervous. But, of course, they, they piddled around and let them get back in the ballgame. Just like they did in t- a couple of years ago in 2019. That said, I like what I'm seeing from him and this Chiefs franchise. Does he want to be part of a long-form dynasty, or or will he kind of push back, 
walk away from that conversation with the Saints tomorrow and say, I'm just going to go ahead and stick around with Kansas City. I appreciate it. I would love to come back to my hometown, but I'm just not necessarily sure it's for me. Then you kind of have to pick Dennis Allen because I think Dennis Allen is really a number one of, like, it's the safety school pick. It's keeping the culture in place. I think that'd be the way to go if you're the New Orleans Saints because now that you've seen a lot of guys step away, and that's not to say the Brian Flores conversation doesn't get brought up again. I think Flores, and I said it last week on this show, you can go back and listen to it on demand right now on 1037thegame.com. Subscribe on all your favorite podcasts. Just search Under the Dome with CD. I said it last week that I think Brian Flores, outside of Eric Bieniemy, who, mind you, I felt Eric Bieniemy is an absolute long shot because I think he's going to stick with KC. I said it last week, too. I think that the Brian Flores situation, everything going on with the New York Giants, is going to take him away from a lot of these coaching vacancies in the immediacy. Somebody's going to get themselves one hell of a head coach next year. Because I think by then, it'll be a, it'll largely be resolved, and he'll find a job somewhere. I can almost guarantee you that. But I think this whole thing with Brian Flores and the New York Giants and some of the practices that were made in the interviews, that's going to be something that's going to hinder him getting a job right now. And it's not because of anything that he did. It's the fact that that's going to take a lot of time away from basically these interviews. Hey, he's not damaged goods. It's just he has so much he's going to have to deal with over the next several months where I mean, now the head coaching jobs, they're largely freed up. The only ones I think that are available right now are the Saints and the Texans. That's about it. What happens next? Where? What's the next step in the Saints? Is it Dennis Allen or is it Eric, Eric Biennium? Dennis Allen would be a great guy to have to retain the culture. But I think that, without a doubt, Eric Bieniemy is would be the home run hire of home run hires. And I'm sure, you know, going back to that part of the fan base that thinks that Russell Wilson is a distinct possibility. I think if you get Eric Bieniemy, you have a better shot of getting him getting him to come over, and obviously you're going to have to eat a lot of bleep to get him in. You're going to have to eat a lot of stuff to get him in, and you do that, that's absolutely going to be fantastic because you don't know if you're going to be able to lock down Jameis Winston because the quarterback market is going to be looking a lot better than it did last year. So trust me on this. Jameis Winston isn't even a sure thing if he's going to come back for 2022. But if you can get somebody like it, Eric Bieniemy, I mean, what he's done for Pat Mahomes' career, imagine what he can do with Russell Wilson, who's still playing at a really consistent clip. Not a high clip, but consistent. And imagine him with a really good offensive line continuity. Because that's something that I think has affected Russell Wilson ever since the Jimmy Graham trade. Which, which by the way, the Saints wound up winning that trade because Jimmy Graham proved himself to be Jimmy Graham, couldn't block worth a damn, 
You lose one of your key offensive line pieces in Max Unger. Max Unger winds up helping this offensive line get better during one of the golden ages of Saints football. I can tell you right now, they won that one hands down by a country mile. Going back to that incredible trade with Jimmy Graham. I can't believe that it still happened. And I can remember where I was when that trade went down. I was actually in a class of UL. And I remember literally in the middle of class, seeing the notification, and we're in the middle of doing like a a faux newscast, part of one of my classes. And literally just as we wrapped up, saw a pop up on my phone getting text messages and blown up from Chet Yoder. That was the name I haven't mentioned in a long while. He texted me. He's like, hey, man, can you get an article written up on the website real quick? I'm like, okay. But, yeah, that was literally how quickly that thing went down around like 3 o'clock on a Thursday afternoon. That was hands down one of the craziest moments I've seen as a Saints fan ever. Seeing that pick, seeing that trade go down after you signed Jimmy Graham for such a big deal that along with all the Drew Brees stuff, Kind of wound up hurting you in the long run just in terms of your salary cap. But somehow, some way, Lumisnomics and the Saints able to turn around, build some really good draft picks, and I'm intrigued to how they do this year with that first-round pick. And I'm sure that's going to be a conversation that I'm going to be having in the next several months is yelling from the rooftops, get a wide receiver in the first round. Because the quarterback pool isn't strong this year. You've got to kind of focus on what your biggest need is. And if you can get, if Taysom Hill's your quarterback, if Jameis Winston's your quarterback, you need a solid wide out to either compliment Michael Thomas or replace Michael Thomas. Because Michael Thomas, he's been MIA all this year, and he was MIA for a good chunk of last season. I want to be confident that I have a really good wide receiver one or a wide receiver two. Because in all honesty, I didn't see any of that this season. Yes, you saw some really good moments, but overall, I just I'm not necessarily sold on the wide receiver group. And I don't think you can get somebody, a top flight wide receiver to come to New Orleans, considering the money that you still are dealing with in Cap Hell. It's not as bad as it has been in previous years, but it's still pretty rough. We're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. When we come back, we're going to get into the conversation about Joe Burrow. And by the way, I was wrong. I don't know how. I can't believe how wrong I was about the Bengals. Because I said it last week that they were going to be a team that was going to get trounced. It was going to look a lot like the 2006 Saints season. It started out that way, but it turned out to be an amazing finish. And we'll talk about that game and the Bengals in the Super Bowl. Next, Shane Metlin joined the program in about 15 minutes. And we'll be back after this on 103.7 The Game at 1037thegame.com. After all your problems during the week, it's finally the weekend. Woo! Yeah, baby! That's what I've been waiting for. That's what it's all about. That means you're getting more Under the Dome with CD right now on 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's sports station.
Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Shane Metlin talking James Madison University, joining the Sun Belt Conference. We'll talk to him in about nine or ten minutes. Obviously, we got a commercial break coming up on that end as well. But hopefully you're enjoying yourself. You want to call up 337-706-0111. Who you think the next Saints head coach is going to be? Or maybe you want to get into the conversation about the Cincinnati Bengals making the Super Bowl in an incredible underdog story. My God, that entire situation has been amazing to see. And I've talked about it. Going back to when Joe Burrow started in the NFL, I was sold that this was going to be a moment that changes a franchise's history. Now, I didn't expect him to do this this fast. That's the big difference. We start going back to 2020. Joe Burrow gets drafted. The offensive line is really the only issue this team has. And that's going to be something that's going to loom large and a big reason why I'm kind of thinking that the Rams do win the Super Bowl. I don't have a 100% locked-in pick, but I am definitely leaning towards the R-A-M-S, ramming it, because you've got such a good defense on the other side. You've got, obviously, Aaron Donald and Von Miller. Those two on the front seven, good luck, God bless, if you're the Bengals' offensive line. You are going. He, I feel like he's going to get cooked. And I think that's going to be the wake-up call to realize, hey, we can get to this point. We can get to the Super Bowl. But what happens after that? What happens after the Super Bowl? You've got to make moves on the offensive line. You've got to build a really strong core. And that's going to be where the conversation begins with this Bengals team improving even more. Because at the end of the day, Joe Burrow is looking like a absolute like stud. And I said it from the jump. Once the game slows down for Joe, look out. And that's exactly what happened with him on this team. This franchise immediately became a legitimate contender. I believe, I'd have to go back in my notes, but I'm like 99% certain I said that Joe Burrow and the Bengals were going to be a wild card team. I didn't think they'd win the division, but they'd be a wild card team because of how tough that division looked on paper heading into the season. With the Browns looking better, the Bengals were going to be improved, the Ravens, you didn't necessarily know. I feel like to a certain extent the book's out on Lamar Jackson. But then you also have, I think, the Steelers. The Steelers were just the biggest question mark of them all because it's been Roethlisberger's last ride, really turned out to be. How did they fit into the AFC North's kind of tier list rankings? It's going to be a lot of fun to see how that North shapes out in the next couple of years. Because Lamar, he's now that Big Ben's retired. How do they move forward? Do they make a big move in the offseason to go get somebody else? Maybe go ahead and go get a Jimmy G from San Francisco because, I mean, he's going to be gone. They're going to move on from him and go ahead and go with the guy they drafted in the first round last year in, in Trey Lance. But going back to what they've done, Bengals have just done an impressive job turning this around, and nobody saw it coming. Go back to November 2020. Joe Burrow tears his ACL. He's out for the year. You think it's it's absolute doom and gloom depressing. Demon was absolutely 
painful to watch. You had a bad offensive line. All this stuff. And you wind up with a top five pick for the second straight year. And you're kind of questioning everything that's going on with this franchise, with the future. Honestly, they did everything right by getting Jamar Chase. Everybody thought it'd be Panay Sewell. And everybody's probably now saying, who's Panay Sewell? Because he hasn't done much of anything in the long term. He hasn't done anything in the long run that's made me say, hey, this dude's going to be a megastar on the offensive line and make this team better. Can he catch a football? No, he cannot in terms of the legal rules of the NFL. Go ask Robert Hunt about that. This team was changed overnight by the fortunes of one Jamar Chase because he made that offense so much more dynamic and it was instant. Because, again, when you're a wide receiver, you don't need to be a student of the game like a Joe Burrow. You just got to have skill. And he's got skills for days. We saw that LSU, a big reason why I think opting out may have been the best thing in the world for him. He landed in the right spot at the right time. And I think Joe Burrow also used some stroke to get him over. Because at the end of the day, if you're a franchise, you listen to your quarterback. And Joe Burrow probably had a good bit of clout to get him over. Now, what happens next Sunday is anybody's guess. To be honest, I think the Bengals do lose. Some because this offensive line has been a sieve. He got sacked nine times in the divisional round. The championship game, he came out smelling, relatively speaking, like a rose. He came out really good. But I think this is that time where you're going to be playing some really tough competition. But the Bengals have a franchise that within two years, you went from a number one draft pick and were one of the worst teams in the league that year. You were bar none the worst team. You hadn't won a playoff game since before text messaging was a thing. Seriously. You went from being 2-14 and 14 in 2019 to the Super Bowl. If you told me at the end of the year or the beginning of the 2019 season that on February 13th, 2022, the Cincinnati Bengals were going to be in the NFL playoffs and in the Super Bowl, I would have laughed at you till the cows came home because there's no way back then I would have thought that for a second. But Joe Burrow overnight has turned this team from a laughingstock to being a contender for years to come. Do they really make it every single year where it's the Chiefs and the Bengals? I don't necessarily think so. But the Bills are there. The AFC is going to be a lot of fun to keep an eye on going forward. That's in my heart of hearts. That's genuinely what I think and how I feel. Is that 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 conference is going to be fun to watch and see how it goes. It's going to be a tough road. Whoever comes out of that is going to be battle tested. In my heart of hearts. And Joe Burrow has single handedly turned a college football program around, got into a national championship within two years. If he does this, 
he absolutely goes down as one of the best to do it in the modern era. Because he's done it on the college ranks, and he turned a laughingstock, a team that hadn't had a winning record, a winning record, get this, since 2016. 2016 was the last time, excuse me, 2015 was the last time the Bengals had a winning record. From 2016 to 2020, they were absolute dog meat. So it's going to be fun to see what happens this time next week. But regardless of win, lose, or draw, which there will be no draw in the Super Bowl, but no matter what, this is going to be an absolute victory up, down, and sideways for a underdog franchise. And anybody who's seeing teams continually tank like the Jacksonville Jaguars, this is a lesson. This is an opportunity to say, hey, look what they did. Let's go ahead and follow that model. Let's follow the Kansas City model. Let's build something really special, and maybe, just maybe, we can get over. We can get towards the top of the AFC. Hell, go look at the Titans model. You get, you know, Derrick Henry, and almost instantly you turn Ryan Tannehill from a largely an afterthought over the Miami Dolphins to being one of the best quarterbacks in the AFC, and the Titans are continually becoming a contender. I think... It's going to be a lot of fun going forward seeing if teams follow the lead that the Bengals have made. Next Sunday's going to be a whole lot of fun, and we'll have that right here on 103.7 The Game. And we'll take a quick timeout. We'll be back with more, including Shane Metlin. Going to talk to him about James Madison University, the Dukes making the jump over to the Sun Belt Conference next year. We'll get to that and more. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com back after this. Who is the world-famous CD really? Whatever you think, when you think sports radio, he's the exact opposite. Yes, I will do the opposite. Let's get back to Under the Dome with CD before he starts acting like Costanza. George is getting upset! On 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's sports station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Hopefully you're having a great Saturday morning, almost Saturday afternoon here. I know I sure am because I'm here with you after all. And hopefully you're making making it a great weekend. And this is a huge time for the Sun Belt Conference because there's a lot of changes going on. Expansion has been going on like crazy in the AAC, the SEC, the Big 12. And the Sunbelt Conference was one of those that has added a lot of big names like Marshall, like Old Dominion. And then you, you see everything that they're doing right now. It's huge. But one of those dominoes decided to jump the line and make it official earlier this week. And that is the James Madison University Dukes. They announced that they are going to be joining the Sunbelt Conference earlier this week in 2022 instead of originally in 2023. And they'll be the first team in over a quarter century 
to move from the FCS to the FBS and play full schedule next year. That is crazy, but honestly, I love it. I don't want to talk about those Dukes right now, and I got a guest aboard the 103.7 The Game hotline. He covers the James Madison University Dukes for the Daily News Record and also hosts the Purple and Bold podcast. That is Shane Metlin. Shane, how you doing, man? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic, and I'm sure without a doubt there's a lot of excitement surrounding James Madison over there just the just based off of everything that's been going on over the last few months, but especially this week with the announcement that they are going to be jumping over early. Whenever they made the announcement they were joining the Sun Belt, did you think that was going to be a distinct possibility? Yeah, I think um, that was sort of the plan or the hope all along once they uh, you know made the move to go from FCS to FBS official and they were going to join the Sun Belt. This goes back to, you know, early November. I think that was always the plan. There was just a lot of things to work out. And, you know, one of the main things was finding their final non-conference game to schedule because there's a minimum of five home FBS opponents you have to play to make this transition. And finding that game kind of once they were able to get Middle Tennessee State on the schedule for their season opener, that really opened the door for being able to play the full Sunbelt schedule, which I think is what Keith Gill at the Sunbelt office and all the other Sunbelt teams and James Madison in particular wanted to happen all along. But there was, you know, just several things to work out before they could make an official announcement, which they did this week. It it was wild to see how quickly this thing has gone down. And, you know, again, going back to what I was saying, the football program is basically saying, hey, we're going to go ahead and move on and move in on this opportunity and say, and basically start in 2022 for the first time, as mentioned a quarter century. It hasn't been since a program's done this. I I was definitely intrigued to see just that alone, seeing them get this thing put together, but how big is this for James Madison to make this jump from the FCS to the FBS? I think it's it's huge in a lot of ways. I mean, you you look at Old Dominion, who made this jump a few years back and is going to be joining the Sun Belt eventually. Uh, JMU's kind of been working in this uh, realignment process with ODU, another Virginia school, for the entire time. And I think one thing they got from working with ODU was that they felt like that first transition year was sort of like a lost year where they're playing a mix of FCS with a few FBS opponents and uh, they weren't involved in any kind of playoff or postseason thing, which you're still not going to be, but like at least you've got a lot of excitement about what your home schedule is going to look like next, next fall. Um, They're already getting a huge number of people calling about uh, season tickets or moving into a different part of the stadium or increasing their donations because they want to be at these football games, which is kind of the interest level if you go back to these last few years at FCS, the interest level really didn't begin until the playoffs began because, you know, there nobody was all that interested in seeing Rhode Island come to Bridgeport Stadium again for another blowout. Um, they're very excited about, you know, seeing teams like Louisiana, App State, especially um, Marshall, ODU, these teams that are kind of regional to uh, JMU. They're, they're really excited about getting those games on the schedule as soon as possible. Talk right now with uh, Shane Metlin, a part of uh, he covers the James Madison Dukes. And just looking at the way it is, not just on the 
football front, but obviously the basketball front and everything in between, I think there's a lot of intrigue about how this team is going to look in the next, let's say, you know, four to five years, the way things are with the athletics program in the immediate, in the long-term future. Like, what do you think this is going to look like in the, in the state of the union right now with James Madison making this jump to the Sunbelt conference? I think, um, the fact that it was a good fit for a lot of their programs beyond football was a big part of the reason they looked for the Sun Belt as opposed to maybe some of the other conferences that might have been available. I mean, you look, um, bat and ball sports are extremely popular in the Shenandoah Valley, maybe maybe the most uh, baseball-softball-centric part region of Virginia right now. Um, even though Jamie's baseball team has been down a little bit, uh, they've got a potential top-five MLB draft pick on the roster this year, uh, Chase DeLauder. So there's a lot of interest there. The softball team's coming off a uh, College World Series run. So getting into a better conference for those sports, I think in particular, is something people are really looking forward to. Um, you know, I think uh, I think it's almost like an immediate rivalry on the softball front with uh, JMU Louisiana. As much success as both of those programs have had uh, through the years here, the last you know 15 years or so. Um, so I think they're really looking forward to that basketball. Um, you know, I'm not sure there's a huge difference right now between the colonial and Sunbelt as far as the quality of the basketball play. But I think the future is probably a little bit brighter for Sunbelt, especially as they're bringing in programs like Marshall and ODU that tend to spend money on basketball. They pay their coaches. They uh, pay for some facilities. I think that could uh, kind of you know raise the bar in the Sunbelt when it comes to you know some of the other sports. And we kind of look at you brought up the softball side of things, and you look at everything else that they're going to be adding in in the not too distant future in 2023 and onward. And you bring up James Madison. For the most part, the Sunbelt Conference in the bat and ball sports has, in basketball as well, has been a largely one bid league. But with the additions of programs like James Madison and Old Dominion, among others, how much does that change? the look of the Sunbelt Conference to where potentially they could be on a yearly basis a two-bid, maybe even three-bid, depending on how up the rest of the conference is. Could this change the the perception to where it's not necessarily always going to be you have to win the championship or you're not getting in the tournament? I think that's a possibility. I think it's also it's a long-term possibility. Nothing really changes, I don't think, next when it comes to, you know, men's and women's basketball for, for one thing. Um, but Jamie's got a very good history in women's basketball. So does OD, ODU. Um, that's going to be a very intense rivalry that's all of a sudden in this conference uh, with a ton of history. You look at men's basketball, um, you know, JMU, ODU, Marshall are programs that have kind of had some limited success. But right now, investing in those programs, JMU's got a brand new arena uh, ODU has one of the nicest arenas in the country as well. And they're, those programs are paying their um, coaches, you know, around a half million dollars or more. So the average salary for a basketball coach in the Sun Belt is going to go up here in the next uh, year or two. And, you know, I, I just kind of feel like if you got teams that are investing in basketball, it's a conference that I think everybody wants to compete in. So you, you raise the bar a little bit and, you know, so maybe – five, six years down the line, you see the increased investment across the conference, and that's when you start seeing maybe this is a two, three-bed league if uh, everybody continues to 
you know, really just kind of make basketball among the priorities along with football and some of the other sports. Talking now with Shane Metlin covers JMU and covers the Purple and and host of the Purple and Bold podcast. I mean, what's been the overall vibe, what you've seen from this fan base about James Madison and how much this is going to be a boon for everybody? I mean, it's going to make the East Division a very intriguing, especially in football with Coastal Carolina and App State being kind of the ones that have ruled the roost. Occasionally, Georgia Southern's made a case for it. But when you look at the East, it feels like that is going to be a very deep division next year. Yeah, I think so. And I think it's um, it'll be a, a challenging transition for JMU on the football field. I mean, I think their their fans got to get used to, um, you know, 10, 12 win seasons are not going to happen necessarily right away. But they're also in a place where they're making this transition because of COVID. They're not jumping right away from 63 to 85 scholarships. They've been over 70, around 75 scholarships here this year because of the COVID years because of the things, uh, guys who have got an extra year. So that kind of um, makes this a different kind of transition than most programs have gone through when they move from SBS to FBS. Uh, that's one of the main things I think that made them feel like, okay, we can make this jump year one to playing a full Sunbed schedule. And like I've said before, just the fact they're going to get some of these home games against teams that are going to be intriguing um, matchups. They're, they'll have, you know, host an FBS program for the first time next uh, September. Um, that, you know, it really just kind of has this fan base really fired up compared to where they've been playing in uh, FCS, where just a certain level of, I don't know how to, how to phrase it, but a certain level of, um, not boredom, but, you know, getting to the point where we, we've been here, done this for a while. We, we need a new kind of challenge here for our football program. And I'd agree. I mean, it's just you need a new challenge after all these years of being in the FCS and being a a, a blue blood, if you will. If you look at what's happened with App State and Coastal Carolina, as we mentioned, I mean, Coastal Carolina headed into the Sunbelt Conference with a College World Series championship, for crying out loud, and then they headed into everything with a world of momentum. I'm sure James Madison is looking to be the same exact way. And look, just looking at how this whole thing came about in the expansion conversations, what was your overall thoughts on how much kind of the world the world of college sports has changed, and especially in the world of COVID, how much did that kind of make you make this university say, hey, we're not making nearly enough in the FCS. I think it's time to make that jump. Yeah, I think it's been it's been a long process. They seriously consider this. You know, you go back to – 2012, 2013, when there was a previous round of realignment, they seriously considered making a jump at that point. But what they ended up deciding to do was enhance their facilities, build up their you know donor base a little bit more, uh, just really do some things to get ready so they could try to make this a little bit more successful from the get go. And you know, some things kind of worked out in their favor. Like I said, you know, nobody is happy about COVID, but one of the side effects of that right now is their scholarship situation is going to be a little bit better making the transition. Um, you know, they've had some time to build a new basketball arena to enhance their, you know, baseball, softball stadiums, their soccer stadium, things like that have gotten improved. They, they've, you know, continued to make additions to the football stadium. Um, all these things were, you know, done with 
making this move eventually in mind. And I don't think they necessarily knew the dominoes were going to fall in 2021 to 2022, but that's the way it ended up being. And they were more prepared for it this time around than if they did tried to make the jump in 2013. Did they ever, kind of consider anybody else to jump ship to other conferences? Would it would have been QSER or was it always the Sun Belt? You know, I think they probably at some point had a little bit of hope that with the facilities they were building, with the success they'd had, and the geographical location, maybe the American would have been an option. The American, though, loses a lot of those teams that made it so – um, appealing and the Sun Belt able to kind of make themselves more regional with the additions of ODU and Marshall. Um, that made the OD the Sun Belt by far the most appealing league to look at. They they had discussions with Conference USA um, here in the past year, but as that as everything worked out with teams leaving Conference USA, everything the Sun Belt eventually became by far the most appealing option for JMU in particular, just because of you know the the number of schools that are kind of like that I think they would consider their peers in this region, it includes Marshall, it includes App State, it includes ODU. Um, to get into a conference with those kinds of teams, it, it, it's really just kind of the perfect situation. And I don't know if it it's almost a kismet that all came together the way it did because there wasn't necessarily a perfect conference for JMU for several years. And then the way everything else kind of worked out, the Sun Belt became that you know, ideal landing spot. Shane, thank you so much for coming on, my man. You take it easy. Talk to you down the road. You have a good weekend. All right. Thanks. Appreciate it. All right. Shane Metlin, you can follow him on Twitter if you want your JMU fix. Shane underscore DNR sports. Appreciate him joining the program. We're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout wrap of the show and a nice little bow with one final take. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD right here on 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. We'll be back after this. Just before we close up shop here on 1037 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one, or is it going to be one he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. We got one more take for you here on this Saturday morning, almost Saturday afternoon, and it's all about the New Orleans Pelicans. They got snubbed from the All-Star game. Yes, Herb Jones, he's being part of the festivities, but not part of the actual game that really matters. Absolutely got hosed, this team did. I mean, Herb Jones, I understand, didn't get in as a rookie, on the actual team. He's definitely a strong contender for rookie of the year right here, right now, at least from my POV. But you got guys like Brandon Ingram who are absolutely putting in work. Josh Hart's been doing a pretty solid job as well. And you don't get one guy on the starting lineup, understandable, because obviously that's a a popularity contest. But reserves, you don't even get any love. It speaks to the state of the union of the and obviously, somebody's going to wind up getting in for one reason or another on the Pelicans roster, but getting snubbed from the initial votes, not even making the reserves, it's a slap in the face and also kind of a statement about where the Pelicans are right now. Yes, they are a kind of bottom barrel team 
but they should get a little bit more love from people. Again, Herb Jones, it's not his fault, as people like to say, but Herb absolutely is one of the best parts of this Pelicans franchise right now, especially since Zion Williamson is MIA and probably not coming back to play in 2022, at least until next season. I can't believe we're done with this show already, and I can't believe we're only a few days away from a big announcement and also eight days away from the Super Bowl with the Rams and Bengals. Next week's show is going to be stacked with a lot of Super Bowl content, and I'm looking forward to doing that for two hours this time next week. Until then, I'm Clint Doming, and you've been listening to Under the Dome with CD. That's me right here on 103.7 The Game and 1037thegame.com. We'll be talking to you on Down the Road next week. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. We're back here talking Bengals versus those L.A. Rams. Until then, peace. We got LSU basketball coming up as well. Pre-game 430, tip-off 5 o'clock. Chris Blair and John Parady will be on the call. Take it easy.